This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Rondé Barber. You're listening to Ira, I think that's his name, and Clark on the iTest for Two. Well, because this Saturday is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which is one of the most horrific events in the history of this country, we've dedicated this week's broadcast of the eye test for two to that day. And it used to be, Ira, that people would ask you, where were you when you heard that President Kennedy was shot in 1963? But now they really ask the same question of 9-11. So I guess I'll start by asking you, where were you that morning and that day? Well, it started off as a nondescript Tuesday morning. Uh, I was here in Florida, and I was talking to a, uh, a lightning coach, a hockey coach, and he was up in Niagara Falls, and, and all of a sudden he said, uh, hey, do you got your TV on? And I said, no, and then I walked over and I said, uh, I'll call you in a couple hours. And, uh, and, you know, just like everybody, Clark, I, I thought it was a movie or something. Yeah, I right. Mean, and then this one hit, and then, you know, you were sat and transfixed in front of the TV. Yeah, I know. It's funny you mention that because my sister-in-law is in California and she woke up and she saw it on TV. She thought it was a movie she was watching. She actually thought it was a movie. Uh, Ian is considerably younger than the two of us. So Ian, uh, I don't know if, were you 12 or 13 at that time? I'm not sure how old I, you were. I was, but, I was uh, four, 14 going on 15. So I, I was in high school. So I, you know, again, I was <clears throat> certainly old enough to, uh, you know, understand what I was seeing and all that stuff. And, you know, I was a sophomore in high school and, you know, it was back when we had the, you know, the old box TVs up in the corner of the the room. And, you know, we were all watching on camera, you know, watching the news broadcast. This is before we got dismissed as the second plane hit. So there there was a lot going on, a lot of information being thrown out there. And uh, at the time, you know, it's not like you could pick up your phone, go to Twitter or go to whatever. It was, well, what's going to happen when you get home and keep watching the news and that's what it was for that the rest of the day just watching the news yeah well um i know one thing guys we don't have to ask where today's guest was that day because we do know i'm um, speaking of former giants running back and star running back tiki barber who flew into newark that morning with the team from a monday night game in denver and who lived then in the upper east side of manhattan so he was right in the middle of it and tiki first of all thanks so much for joining us. Um, and secondly, what is the first image that comes to your mind when you think of 9-11 and the Saturday? Yeah, it's interesting, Clark, and it's good to see Ira and Ian as well. Um, it's not really an image that comes to mind. It's a feeling that comes to mind. Um, as you mentioned, I lived on the Upper East Side. And so when we flew back into Newark, obviously it was a long night because we played on Monday night to open uh, mile high the new mile high stadium and we played horribly and even though Kerry had a good game we we lose and you just don't sleep on cross-country flights like that after a night game and so you're exhausted I was exhausted and instead of going back to the stadium to get my car I always drove because uh, you could at that point and park 
basically right on the tarmac and then and and then go into this into the terminal and, and get home. And so I drove since I lived in the city. So I'm driving into the city. Traffic is a is a bear. Um, and I get home and my phone just won't stop ringing. And again, you're right. There weren't cell phones. There weren't really ways to mass communicate information to everybody on the planet. And I just want to go to bed. My phone won't stop ringing. And I finally answer and I'm like, what? And they're like, turn on your TV. And so the emotion that I felt was confusion at first. And then when the second tower got hit and I'm watching the Today Show, I'm watching Matt Lauer uh, do this, it, it became it became scary because this really felt down the street for me. And then when the plane crashed into the Pentagon, I felt like the, our country was under attack and I, I was terrified, uh, utterly terrified and felt like I was trapped um, in New York. Um, I grew up in Southwest Virginia, man. I'm used to space and being outside and uh, living in Manhattan. I got used to it. But that day I felt claustrophobic and afraid to be a New Yorker for the first time in my, my, at that point, four years there. Well, a lot of people know, but maybe some of our listeners don't, that when your team flight came in from Denver that morning, I think it was 6 a.m. in the morning, you actually parked next to Flight 93. That's and right. Of course, you, you wouldn't know what happened at that point or what was going to happen at that point. But um, that's sort of, I think, you know, an unforgettable event. I would think for anyone who's involved that think that we were right next to a flight that then took off and was accommodated by terrorists. Yeah, you're right. And crashed ultimately in Pennsylvania. And it's one of those, um, you know, not what if, because that's, that's the wrong way to describe it. But I mean, I, I went out of the, into the terminal. So as opposed to going down the stairs onto the tarmac and getting in the bus i went into the terminal with our with the flight attendants and uh, anybody else that had driven to the airport and you know months maybe even years later i just couldn't help but think i mean i i walked past these terrorists right because yeah, it was literally the gate next door i walked past them and it like that connection that almost connection to history makes you um i don't know makes you feel like you could i have done something but the answer is obviously not you couldn't but you can't help but think that um a couple of our flight attendants who were always with us on our charters on united they ended up retiring because of the emotional stress that it caused on them and so like the the connection that we all had as athletes at the time in new york city uh our specific connection because of, of you know flying in and, and parking next to flight 93 and then what jim fossil truly is one of his great legacies helped create in the aftermath of 9-11. It's something that it's, 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 it's defining to an early part of my career. It's a 20 year anniversary of, of a year that you, you don't want to remember for so many reasons. First, of course, 9-11. But Tiki, for you personally, you were coming off a great year. You're in the Super Bowl and then you get hurt. You, you broke your hand. Then it was a hamstring. You're probably playing when you shouldn't be playing. You know, you don't get going till the end of the season. Then the Giants have a bad year. Yeah. Um, how, 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 much, how much impact do you think 9-11 had on, on the team as, as a whole in, in defending their championship? 
It, it was tough. The NFC Championship. It was tough. I mean, there's always that hangover after a Super Bowl loss. Ira, you know this. Clark, you as well. You lose a Super Bowl and the elation doesn't come. Like the winner is elated and it's like, yeah, we, we, we accomplished it. But as a loser, the first thing that comes to your mind is, man, we got a long way to go just to get the opportunity to, to try to try this again. Right. And so um, that hangover was was heavy. And then after the events of 9-11, it was almost like it was hard to get into football, right? It, it, and, and for us in particular, because the Meadowlands at the time, it's obviously now MetLife Stadium, but the Meadowlands at the time was a commuter lot. And so people would drive their cars to Giant Stadium, they'd park, they'd get on a bus and go into New York City. Well, not only could we see the World Trade Center site from our practice facility, so the smoke and the, and the ash and the uh, the remnants of it were visible to us every time we stepped on the practice field. But when we would leave, well, first of all, when we'd get there in the morning and leave at night, there were hundreds of cars that never left, right? They, they just were there for a, a week or two until they finally got towed away. And I mean, obviously, what that, that means, we means that, that they passed away uh, in, in the World Trade Center site. And so it, the emotional side of football, which you guys know, I mean, it's 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 paramount. If you're not emotionally invested into the this physical game, it's really hard to to, to play it well. And so we just had a lot of letdowns. You're right. I, I had a bunch of injuries. It was hard for me to stay healthy. I, I hadn't gotten really strong at that point, even though I was I had a couple of years of success. And you know, the year dragged for us. We finished seven and nine. Um, in the immediate aftermath, obviously, we won a few games. Kansas City, the one being most prominent that people remember uh, after the week off and the NFL season. But we lost a, you know, a, a couple, like one-point games. I think we lost two one-point games in a row. Yeah. And it was almost like, like we, can't, we just can't win. And, um, yeah, it was, this, it was a very disappointing, hard, emotional season in a lot of different ways. Kiki, how much do you think the solidarity and the leadership – of the Giants franchise during that week that ensued, the days that ensued, how much do you, how much impact do you think that had on ultimately uh, Tagliabue's decision to cancel games the following weekend? I think I think it was profound, uh, Ira. It really because we were feeling it uh, immediately in New York City um, because I live there. I know that it, you know what it what it felt like, but it also came back to normal a little bit quicker. But from a from the Jersey side watching it. Um, and seeing all the chaos that kind of ensued um, you know, with our own eyes, we're looking at the World Trade Center site and then going down to the World Trade Center site uh, a couple of days afterwards, it, it, it really felt um, hard to play sports. And nobody wanted to cancel sports because of the normality that it brought. But in New York, uh, both the Giants and the Jets were at the forefront of, of, of convincing the league and, commission, and the commissioner that we needed a pause. Um, and yes, when sports came back, it was, it was amazing with the Mets and the Yankees getting to the World Series and then um, you know, us winning our first game with Kansas City. Like, it was important, but we needed that pause. And I, I think it was leadership that, that ultimately swept through the entire sports world as everybody took that pause and, and had a moment to reflect and, um, and say a prayer for all those people who lost their lives. We're speaking with former Giants great Tiki Barber on the eye test for two, and we're speaking to him about 9-11 and the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this Saturday. And Tiki, as you mentioned, you did play that week two game in Kansas City, but it was a week and a half later. Yeah. Um, no decision was made 
the week of 9-11 until Thursday, to the best of my recollection. So you had to report to Giant Stadium for work on Wednesday, and that's where practices were held. And honestly, yep. it, they were held in the flight path of flights yeah. coming into Newark. I mean, that's I remember right. going to one of your practices, and it was so weird to see planes coming over. And, and it's just I just remember that was a weird feeling. But anyway... Um, you lived in Manhattan, as I said, the Upper East Side. You commuted, commuted to work, but I think the Lincoln Tunnel was closed that day. Um, That's right. You had to go across the GW Bridge, to the best of my recollection. Can you kind of That's take us back to that Wednesday and how chaotic that was? Yeah, so, you know, my route was, was unique. I mean, I, I was different than a lot of the players because I lived in New York City, and so I had to really plan in order to get to where I was going. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, being late, obviously, as you guys know, you get fined. It's like it's not it's not a, it's not an insignificant fine either. And so I always would plan. So in the mornings, I would usually go through the Lincoln Tunnel. You're correct, because it was easy. I'd get through the, you know, get on Route 3. Uh, I'd right. be at the stadium. I mean, in, in five minutes after I got out of the tunnel um, and on the way home, I would always take the bridge because the tunnel is, is always chaos in the evenings. Um, and so uh, when we woke up that Wednesday morning, you're right. It was all right. We got we got to report to work. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, well, the tunnel's closed. The Holland Tunnel's closed. Uh, the only way to get out of here is on the GW Bridge. And it's I, in my mind, I'm thinking it's going to be chaotic and packed. There was no one there. There was no one on the bridge. It was like people hunkered in place. And, and very few people were coming into the city. So if you didn't live in Manhattan. You, the last place you wanted to be was, was in Manhattan. And so I remember that cute uh, commute even though it was different than what I usually take being eerily easy. Um, and, um, but we got, I got to the stadium and nobody wanted to be there. I, you know, I mean, it was, it was nobody felt like doing anything. Um, and, and, and you almost couldn't talk about anything other than what had just, just happened. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the JFK assassination uh, back in 63 my traumatic experience, my childhood that I remember always, where were you when was the Challenger explosion. Oh, yeah. Uh, when, it, when, it ha- when that happened, uh, I was impressionable. I, was in, I, I remember sitting in um, middle school watching it because it was teachers. Andrew McCullough was on the, on the flight and all the teachers were watching and we were watching it and, and it's, this shuttle explodes and all the teachers start crying and leave the room. And we're just, you know, here as 11 year olds like lost we had no idea what was going on so it, it was just emotional i don't know uh mark on your soul that just never went away from me it's why i think i ultimately wanted to be an astronaut and you know i went to uva so i could be you know study nuclear engineering uh, that that astronaut dream has always been in my head even though i you know played professional sports for a long time the same thing applies for me with with 9-11 there's like this emotional scar that's that's always going to be there and um you know, it, it, and again, the, 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 I don't even know what to call it because slogan's the wrong thing and catch lines phrase is the wrong thing, but it's, it's what it's meaningful when people say never forget. Right. But if you were there, you can't forget, even if you tried to, uh, you can't because it was so traumatic in so many different ways. I think, you know, we, we lost our coach, my coach, Jim Fossil, earlier this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's a shame because he was such a great man. He never got another shot in the NFL after having some successful years with the New York Giants. Um, but he was a great friend uh, to me. And that's why I always remember him. But what I remember about that time was how in command he was of 
who the Giants were going to be post 9-11. And it was things like, we're taking a bus. Every, all, the, all, our guy, all you guys who want to go, we're going down to the World Trade Center site. Uh, we're going to hand out bottles of water. We're just going to be there. Uh, for whatever needs to be done, we're going to be there. And I remember talking to these first responders and they, they, they just consistently would not stop working. They were just working and working and working and working and working. And, you know, eventually one or two of them would stop and realize that we were there and they'd start crying, that they'd break down and crying like because they, they weren't letting their emotions take hold. They were just focused on, you know, recovery and survival, you know, trying to find survivors. And, and Jim was a big part of that. Um, you know, and, and I also remember when we started wearing hats, those NYPD and FDNY and Port Authority first responder hats, the NFL, you know, as, as they want to do with their policies, like if it's not NFL sanctioned gear, you can't wear it. And Coach Fossil said, well, the hell with you. We're doing it anyways. And, you know, it started a trend that, that, that took over the National Football League uh, and, and, and showed respect to these men and women who literally give their lives and gave their lives for our safety. I'm glad you mentioned Jim. He was a good friend of mine for years and, and I was very saddened by his passing and shocked also by his passing. But uh, I did want to ask you about that day because when they said, we're not playing, the NFL announced, we're not playing this Sunday, he did take you guys down to ground zero. And you talked about things that you remember, but is there any one enduring memory from that day, from that scene that sticks with you, Tiki, so that every time yeah. someone says 9-11, you remember it? Yeah, you know, you mentioned I, I lived on the Upper East Side. Very rarely yeah. back then did I did I venture downtown. Um, you know, it wasn't you know the, the meatpacking district and the right. Soho area that we know now. Um, it was it, it was it was Wall Street and kind of like this real not seedy but seedy part of <laughs> part of the city. And so I never I never would go downtown, but I knew that these buildings were like massive, especially in the financial uh, district. And when we went down to that World Trade Center site. I swear to you, Clark, it felt like a movie set. It felt not real, right? Because we see these big buildings, but we don't think about the, like the bones of them. And, you know, it's, it's contorted and it's fallen and you know, it, it, it felt not real. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, thinking how in the world are we ever going to recover from this, right? How is this city you know, going to get rebuilt? Um, you know, how are people ever going to trust going in, and being in lower Manhattan uh, again after after this devastation? And I, I think it's a testament to New Yorkers, really this country, but in particular, New Yorkers, that they picked themselves back up. You know, they got knocked down bad, like hard. Uh, they picked themselves back up and dusted themselves off and built it even better and built this amazing memorial. And now my, my studio for CBS is downtown on 345 Hudson. So I'm, I'm kind of right in that area. And you see it, 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 it not only got back to normal, it, it, it excelled, right? It, 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 it accelerated, it, it, it was significantly better than it ever was, right? And that's, that's a testament to, to I think, American, um, American resiliency, in particular New Yorkers. Tiki, two more for me. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Tiki, personally, did you know anybody or have any acquaintances that um, that suffered that day in, in, in the Twin Towers? I did not know anyone, thankfully, who, who passed away. But my 
my ex-wife's sister worked in the in the world one of the world trade centers i think i think it was three um and we couldn't get in touch with her uh all day because you know the cell phone tower was on top of the world trade center and so unless you know you had you know a, a great service which most people didn't you couldn't use cell phones all the landlines were dead and we didn't find out that she was okay until about 11 o'clock at night and so it was it was scary um and and and, and nerve-wracking and intense and um uh it, it i don't i don't i can't even put emotions on it because you, you don't want to at that point i'm young i mean i'm 20 seven years old at that at that point um 20 maybe maybe 28 almost 28 I, I was young right and and not used to losing people that were you know close to me and so it, it was it was frightening in so many ways tiki i don't want to get too maudlin here but tell me if you agree that you know unfortunately sadly maybe that was the last time there was one unified america uh, uh, no, you're and right. The, and the you're aftermath right. of, of 9-11 and, yeah. you know, uh, that was the day that everybody stood for the same. That's right. And, and President Bush, whether you agree with his politics or not, at that point, he brought the country together. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, Ira, because I think the, the war on terrorism, as well-intentioned as it was, created a, a political divide that is still going on now as we pull out of Afghanistan, you know, a few couple of weeks ago, um, you know, that, that, that division of ideologies have taken over um, and, and supplanted the unification that we felt on, on 2000, uh, to September of 2011, uh, 2001, I mean. And so I feel like, um, I don't know how we get that back. And I, and I would never ever want to have to go through what we went to again but maybe on this 20th commemoration of one of the most tra tragic days of of our country really maybe even the world if you think about all the people who were affected outside of you in new york um you know maybe we can remember that right that unification matters and we may have political differences and we may see things different ways but ultimately we're one america uh and, and that's what matters you know it's funny tk and we're speaking with Former giant star Tiki Barber on the Antesco too, but uh, Tiki, I lived in the Upper East Side as well, up on 79th Street. And um, yep. uh, I said to my wife, I felt a real uni unity within the city. There weren't parking, uh, there, nope. there weren't cars that were, you know, hitting each other, parking. There weren't uh, honking horns. People weren't yelling at each other on the sidewalk. It was all like we were all together and you could feel it. I'd say for about, I thought six weeks or so, cab drivers were courteous. People were courteous to cab drivers. I mean, right. it, was just, it was just like, what has happened? But it did bring people together. And, and, and speaking of that, I mean, you earlier in this broadcast referenced the emotional side of football and you said it's of paramount importance. I want to take you to that Kansas City game a week and a half later. I was there. And, and it was powerful. Um, fans were cheering from you, for you. And I'm talking about mm -hmm. Kansas City Chiefs fans. You guys come out yes. for warm-ups. They're cheering for you guys. The FDNY hats were everywhere. Um, I, I, I remember Armani Toomer saying there was, I, I think, some crying in the locker room prior to the game. So it's a very emotional game for the New York Giants. For one afternoon, the entire nation seemed like they were New York Giants fans um, yeah. and that the emotional side of the country was of paramount importance. Where did that emotion take you that day? And, and did it, was it of paramount significance 
to- yeah, it really was. I mean, I had never been to Arrowhead before, but I had heard all the stories, how brutal it was for opposing fans. I mean, because they're starting to tailgate. I mean, it's one of the great tailgates in all of college, yeah. of all, really all sport. Forget college, NFL, and everything. Uh, I mean, they're there at six in the morning starting to set up. And um, it's, 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 I know it's hard, right? But the first image that we saw were people in the stand with signs like, we love you, New York. And I think a lot of that was because they were detached from it, right? That they watched it as if they were watching a reality show um, or, um, um, you know, something that didn't feel close to them because they're in the middle of the country. They're not, it's not their backyard. And while they still felt the the sadness, the the like the, the real impact is lost on you unless you're actually there. And so it was interesting. Like they they all wanted to know, right? They all wanted to like feel and embrace us. Like we were representative of of this city that had suffered this massive tragedy. And collectively, Arrowhead wrapped us in this massive bear hug. It, it was unreal, Clark. It was it because it, it, it's not what I expected. You know, I watched football came back was like all right we're playing football um but it wasn't that but i gotta tell you the most moving part for me was when the national anthem was played i mean i've been playing sports my whole life and they play the national anthem and and to that point i had never really even thought about it you know i just kind of like all right they're gonna play the national anthem half the time i felt like we were in the locker room anyways and so it just it was just like a thing that happened before a game and all right let's go play a game um but sitting there listening to the national anthem for the first time with perspective i think is the best way to put it i i teared up right it it, that that unity that you talked about it was like we're here right someone fucked with us it's not it's not okay all right we're coming together we're gonna we're gonna dominate um you know this situation and uh the, the kansas city chiefs fan base were were part of that and again, we won that game, as you know, and there's an unbelievable picture that we took in the locker room afterwards where basically the whole 53 guys and the coaches are all piled on top of each other. Some went at the NY hat, some went the NYPD hats, others with, you know, Port Authority and other first responders, just just like on top of each other. It's like this big, massive, um, you know, pile of emotion and, and, and feel goodness that we that we brought back to New York when, after we won that game and, and, and restarted the NFL season. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was real. It was meaningful. Yeah, no, it was meaningful. And, and having lived in New York during that time, I felt so uplifted by that. And then also yes. by what happened with the Yankees that year when they went into the world series. And I just felt like it, it just seems like the country's behind the city and, and, for yeah. good reason. and it was really, it, it was gratifying. Uh, I've got one last question, but I'll be honest with you. It's sort of a trick question because it's a three part question wrapped in as one. So let's see, if you, see if you can take this uh, as, as one question. Um, how has that experience, the experience of what you went through that week or those weeks or that year, uh, how does that affect it or change your life? A, um Mm -hmm. b what do you tell your kids about that day and then c do you plan on doing anything this saturday to kind of remember what happened that day yeah so i'll be on the new york jets and uh carolina panthers game call for the for um, cbs and so obviously it will get referenced and so i will i will talk about it i will have some of these conversations that we're having now because of the importance that football was. My kids were, my now kids were 
too young. I have two young kids, five, five and seven. Right. My older boys, they, they, they were even young. AJ wasn't even born yet. So he doesn't remember it. Even though he's 19 now, he doesn't remember it. But in, at times they do ask about, you know, what New York was like in those moments. And it's interesting because what we were just talking about, I always bring up, I, I say, look, I know it feels, New York feels you know big and intimidating, but during that time, it felt like everybody was loved one another. Right. And so, um, you know, I think, I think that's the message that I love to give to my kids that look, sometimes things are bad. Uh, sometimes things are really bad, but love will get you through it. Right. And you find a way to find the good in people um, then and, and, and pull together in tough times. You're going to be OK. But to answer the first part of your question, Clark, I think it's I think it's really the most important one. What did it help me realize is that I as an athlete and I kind of knew this anyways, but it really um, shone through, shine through after after this uh, this happened. I realized the importance of being like a good available athlete for fans, if that makes sense. Um, and I'll give you an example that I, I'm sure you've heard this, uh, but Ernie Acorsi was our general manager at the time. And he got a letter from someone who worked um, in the World Trade Center. And it basically detailed how big of a Giants fan he was. And so he was disappointed about the Super Bowl loss. But when the 20, uh, uh, the 2001 season started, he wanted to be there to push us and support us. And so he went to Denver uh, to, to watch us open uh, that new stadium and, and start our 20, uh, 2001 season against the Broncos. And, you know, obviously he's alive because he skipped work on Monday uh, or Monday and Tuesday, I should say, because he couldn't get back home. And he talked about how his fans, uh, friends and family uh, that they, they, they lost their lives, but that he, his kids still had a dad because he was a Giants fan. And it was like, I mean, I mean obviously it's a, it, it's a, it, it feels good, but it's also saddening because there's so many other people who don't have a father or, or a husband because they went to work that day. And it just made me realize while football is just a game, right? When we benefit, we make money, teams win championships, it, but fans are just as important to this equation as the guys who line up and, you know, between the lines. And so I think it, it made me appreciate fandom a lot more than I ever previously had. Thanks so much. Uh, a great message to end on. But thanks so much for joining us. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure, Clark. Ira, be well. Thanks, buddy. You got it. That was former Giants running back Tiki Barber. And Ira, I thoroughly enjoy listening to him because he was in the middle of the fray and his memories are so vivid and he's so articulate about what that did for him, that team and that city. Um, it's, it's kind of haunting to me to be in the middle of that, but to hear him talking about it. Your timing is impeccable, Mr. Judge, and you picked the right guy to uh, put, put it into perspective. Um, I was going to do an I was there, but I'll be honest with you. I'll do a quick I was there, but, but Ian, you don't have to get the, the crowd going because there really is no cheering here. I mean, I, I was there in um, Central Park when the first plane hit. I dropped my wife off of the bus and I'm running. And of course, I didn't know anything about it because you didn't see it or didn't hear it. And then I went to an Equinox facility, fitness facility on 63rd Street. And... Um, 
uh, I think it's the 63rd Madison, worked out there and I didn't have my contacts in, but I saw people huddled around one of the TV screens and then they screamed. And it was obviously when the second plane went in, but I looked and all of this, I kind of saw something happen. And I thought either like you, Ira, it was a video or that it was just a freak accident. And my first thought was that something happened in Florida. I'm not sure why I thought that, but I just thought, looks like a small plane went into that a building. I get home. And, and then the, the doorman at our building, we lived in an apartment building, said, um, do you know what's going on? I said, no. And he told me. And, and later that day, I had to meet some painters at a place that we were buying up on 79th Street. We lived at 70th at that time. And, on, and all the streets were empty. There wasn't a car to be seen. And there were people on the curbs uh, talking on cell phones and just walking around on the sidewalks. They were in, in a state of confusion, which they were and dazed and and, and I remember it was such a haunting scene. And I go to 79th Street and I thought, why am I going up here? These guys aren't here. They showed up. They must have been the only people be driving in the city that day. And I said, guys, just go home. I mean, it's, it, no one feels like doing anything today. It was just a, it was a surreal. I don't like that word, but it was a surreal environment and, and something that does uh, stick with me anyway. Spoken enough about that. But Ira, final thoughts? Just. Uh... You know, we'll never forget it, Clark. You know, I, I was in second grade when uh, when Kennedy was assassinated, uh, but I was fully grown uh, when this one came. And uh, I, I'll I'll be I'll be right there with you, uh, re remembering the uh, the grim details of uh, of that morning. Yeah, and, and I'll mention my sort of final thought here. We've we've told our daughter about it. She's 17, so she doesn't remember it, obviously, because she wasn't born. She was born three years later. Um, but we've told her exactly what Tiki said. Never, ever forget what happened that day. And I know they're going to be told about it in school this week. But never forget, as we and Tiki Barber won't. Uh, we want to thank Tiki Barber for joining us. Uh, Ian Glendon, our Hall of Fame producer, for making the show happen and you for listening to the eye test for two. So thanks very much and we'll see you next week.